Not a day goes by that we don't hear in the news about some type of cultural clash, confrontation, hate crime, or even act of war against another people group. Well, coming on the show today is someone that is not just the son of a diplomat, not just lived under two dictatorships, but has also spoken in front of the United Nations. This is an interview I have been dying to drop. His book is coming out, so stay with me. You will be blown away by the wisdom and the insight my guest has. Hey there, you're listening to the Living a Limitless Life podcast. I'm Sharon Hughes, and on this show, we talk about mastering your mindset, growing your faith, and becoming the leader you want to be with tips, strategies, and interviews to help you create a life you love. I'm really glad you're here. So come on, let's go. Joining me on the show today is my friend, Tayo Roxon. He's an international influencer, believe it or not, the son of a diplomat. He has an amazing message he's bringing, and I have to brag about him a little bit because he's even spoken in front of the United Nations at a special summit. It's kind of a big deal to have Tayo with us. Welcome, <laughs> Tayo. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Sharon. That's very kind of you, as I was saying earlier, but it's a pleasure to be on your show and uh, looking forward to sharing my message. Yeah, I'm so excited. You and I have been friends like online for a while. I've been watching your journey and it's amazing to see how you've connected people across cultures. Oh, thank you. How did we even get connected? I don't know. I'm trying to remember. It's, uh, it's Instagram. No, but, but how did we... <laughs> but I don't know how. Yeah, that's know. what I'm saying. How did we I actually... Yeah. I saw something you posted and then we started talking and yeah, we've literally talked online for like a year. Oh, that's awesome. Well, yeah. I'm happy to actually uh, bring that to a podcast. So now we're... We're podcast friends. <laughs> we are podcast friends. Yeah, you have an amazing podcast called As Told by Nomads. Now, tell us about, let's start off there. How did you come up with As Told by Nomads? So I had reached a point in my life where I had a wake-up call. You know, I was living in Virginia, I think, up until 2013, and, you know, at the time, I remember just not being happy with my job and looking for something, but I didn't quite know how to articulate what it was that I, I was searching for. And so August 12, 2012, um, August 22, 2012, I was driving in my Burgundy Toyota Camry at the time, and uh, I got to the part where the road merged into the highway, and then uh, all of a sudden my lane got cut into half because this neighboring car had lost control. And then... I was swerving out of the way so I didn't get hit and I smashed into left guardrail, one car, two cars, right guardrail, left guardrail. And then I hit one more car and back to the left guardrail. And this time I hit it with such impact that the car lifted up and I was about to flip over the bridge or so I thought because the car lifted up. Um, And, you know, at the time, you know, 22 years old, I only had one thought and I was like, you know, the thought was, have you done everything you said you wanted to do? And I was this kid who grew up in two military dictatorships who was going to use his experiences as the son of a diplomat to bridge cultural divides. And here I was in a job I hated. And, you know, adrenaline kicked in, slammed my brakes. And then I got out of the car. I don't know how I did, but I did. 
and my car was totaled and um, nothing happened to me. And that, that was the beginning of me realizing that I needed to change and move uh, essentially. So I changed my environment shortly after that and moved to New York City, started applying to schools. And while I was in school, I wanted to start to investigate the question that had plagued me for most of my life, which is why do we live in this cross-cultural world and still have problems connected? And my way of doing that was through my writing, but also I thought about podcasting. Podcasting was starting to get hot at the time, and I listened to a lot of podcasts. So I just said, I'm just going to bring on people from different parts of the world and have them talk about their global identity and talk about how they navigated their identity crisis. And, you know, lo and behold, the podcast sort of took on a shape of its own. You know, people from different parts of the world start to identify with the stories and then we got here. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. So that was kind of like one of those flash before your eyes type of moments that really got your attention. It did. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. so go, go back to what you said about growing up under two different dictatorships. Mm. Yes. That was, uh, the first, that was during the first nine years of my life. You know, I remember, uh, I remember parts of it. Uh, first, Two years, we were in and out of Sweden and Nigeria because of my dad's job, but we were under dictatorship. But yeah, I mean, it, it was, you know, sometimes we would have curfews, you'd see coups, uh, we had elections where they were supposed to be democratic, but they were nulled by the government, you know, it, you know, typical uh, hallmarks of dictatorships, you know, suppression of opponents, exiles, and things like that. And as a kid, I remember seeing all this and wondering if there was ever a path to peace. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was also around the time Nelson Mandela was getting freed, freed from uh, jail. So I was thinking, hmm, you know, this is a guy that I want to model my, my leadership style after. So I began to study him even then. But uh, I think it was, yeah, in yeah, about uh, yeah, 1998, uh, we started to transition into civilian rule and uh, I was like, wow, okay, we're actually going to do that. And then shortly after we transitioned into civilian role, my dad's job started to take us into uh, different parts of the world. And that, that was wow. how that happened. Yeah. So the first dictatorship was in Nigeria? Yeah, well, all right. through Nigeria. Yeah, wow. my dad's job, my dad was still a diplomat and we would, he got posted to Sweden in between, but mm -hmm. we were very much living under that. I remember we used to get, we got internationally sanctioned from something and I remember like, oh, dad, we're on the news. <laughs> Nigeria's on the news. Uh, but wow. it, it was, it, it, yeah, it, it was a big deal. You know, Nigeria is the most populous country in in Africa. So, you know, it was, it was one of those things where we wanted to make sure that uh, human rights violations weren't ascending. <laughs> mm. Wow, that is really interesting. I can't even imagine what it would be like to really live right in the middle of it and see it unfolding in front of your eyes. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I didn't even process it until after the accident. It, it was then when that accident happened to me when I was 22, I was thinking to myself, where do I start? And what is my story? And, you know, I needed to go back and I had blocked <laughs> a lot of those stories out there. I knew them anecdotally, but I just sort of, they became normal to me. And my, I'm not just the only one, anyone that lived through that time, probably it's just a normal experience. That's what you were born into. So it's, you know, you didn't really know any different, right. but I began to understand why I had this 
this passion against injustice and, and inequality and, right. and more inclusion. And, and the root really started from there because, you know, a lot of what I witnessed was not that. And so uh, that informed me with the direction I needed to go with my podcast and my career as a, as a diversity and inclusion consultant. Right, right. Well, you mentioned Nelson Mandela, who has been so influential to just so many people. Who yeah. else has been someone that strongly influenced you to pursue this passion and this path that you're on? Oprah. It's funny. Um, so yeah, May 29, 1999, we moved, we transitioned to civilian role. Uh, and I was like, yes, I have Nelson Mandela to look after, uh, to look up to. And I remember when we got posted to Burkina Faso, which is a French speaking country in West Africa, I, this was 2000. My, my, I was now this skinny Nigerian kid with a thick Nigerian accent in a French speaking country in an American international school going through puberty. And I, I remember after school, we'll come back home um, and we'll watch Nickelodeon and Disney. And then there was the Oprah show, Oprah Winfrey show and from our, from our Chicago studios at the time, uh, Harpo studios. And, it was just a very common experience for, for us. I mean, my mom and I will watch it together. For me to be able to see all these people from different walks of life feel like they were heard on, the, on that show. And I remember just feeling a sense of belonging for once because at that time I was very different in my school. My school was very small. I stood out for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> and I was always looking for ways to find uh, a sense of inner peace in that uh, ability for Oprah to transmit that across the airwaves was something that I always resonated with. And so I was like, I want to do the same thing. I want to be able to have a platform where people can come and express themselves without worrying about judgment. And um, so it was those two, it was Oprah and obviously my parents. But yeah. I bet your parents are really proud of you. Look at, look at all you're doing. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I think they are. They, are they, they, they always send me messages every morning. Uh, they have prayers they send me all the time. Oh. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, that, that, that was my story. But it, it was, yeah, you know, I always, whenever I talk to people and even with the book, I, I find that we live in a world that likes to put people in boxes, you know, right. a world of nuance uh, that we're governed by binary systems. You have to be this or that. And if you're not that, you're not good enough for this. And right. that's what we always fought against. And I, you know, whether I saw that sanction and lead into people's debts or I saw that in school leading to, you know, being ostracized or, or things like that. It was always something that always irked me. And, uh, you know, when after the accident, I was like, I can't sit back anymore. I have to figure out how to make this a career. So, uh, wow, that's, that's so interesting. So yeah. are you, is your family still in Nigeria? Yeah, mom and dad are. My brothers are in America. They're scattered. I have my youngest brother is in, uh, well, is in Maryland. He's staying with me actually for the summer now. But he's in Maryland. He goes to UMD, and my middle brother is married in Tampa. Yeah, he's in Tampa. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. you're you're you are literally setting things on fire because you know I watch you on social, and. <laughs> When I, I remember when I saw that you were going to be speaking at the United Nations, I remember I messaged you because I was so blown away. I was like, how do you even, how do you even end up on the list, the short list, no doubt, <laughs> to speak in front of that type of a community? I, I, I you know, I don't know. They, they, they were, it's all the work I've done. I, I think, um, 
how did it happen? Oh yeah, uh, someone had, was asking around in a network, hey, we're putting together a summit, we're looking for speakers and such and such, do you know who would be a great speaker? And I was recommended to the person that was looking for speakers. Uh, and, and they sent them one of my TEDx talks and were like, yep, this is exactly what we want. I have this guy, give me, give me his email. And I got the email address and the formal invitation and that was that. But it's, it's, I think it's a testament to people to always doing the work. I always tell people that, you know, you never know who's going to see your content or your piece of work. Right. You never know right. where they are. Uh, so I, I didn't see that myself, uh, but I was grateful when it happened for sure. You know, you're so humble. And I was kind of teasing you before we started recording because I was like, you show up and you're like, oh, it's no big deal. It's like you're ordering sandwiches and like we're just like hanging out. You're so incredibly humble. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, thank you. I, I Well, I just think, you know, I've experienced a lot of failure and I, I, I'm very appreciative of the moment. But I, I also, in my mind, I still have a lot of stuff to do in terms of, of the work. So I always try to be present. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do, I do understand, yes, there, there are moments that I, I, I do deflect <laughs> often. Um, but no, I, I, I just... I don't know. I maybe my parents, I guess. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. you know what? I, I think that you're gonna go. I mean, you've already done so much, but honestly, I think that because of your humility and your passion, there's nothing nothing will stop you, Tayo. Like wow. nothing. You are way too kind. Thank you. No, it's just true. I know you. And I'm just like, come on. <laughs> come on, you're so casual. You're just like, oh, no, I just showed up and did this thing. It just cracks me up. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, thank you. I really appreciate that. But yeah, I, I, the goal is to impact three billion people. Uh, the three billion people, roughly under thirty, and um, I have a lot of work to do. But you know, uh, I just want people to tap into their superpowers. Okay. Use the differences to make a difference, which is what right? I would say. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's dive into it. So you say the type of people that know how to effectively connect across cultures do three things. They educate, mm. they don't perpetuate, and instead they communicate. Yes. So unpack that for us. So through research and personal experience, I came up with that. And that's, that's exactly what I cover in the book. So the education piece is involved, uh, the education piece rather involves two things, education of self and education of environment. And so as you're Going through education of self, that means being aware of your biases, your values, and your triggers, right? So we are conditioned as, mm -hmm. as a group, as humans, you know, whether it's by our environments, our friend groups, or our parents, or what we, we, you know, watch on TV. A lot of times we don't know why we believe what we believe or why we have the thoughts we have. And so getting to the root of what your biases are and why you see the world the way you see is the first step if you really want to be an effective cross-cultural communication because you have to know where to start from and how you see the world. So understanding your biases, everybody has a bias. Sometimes there, it gets a negative connotation because people think that if you're saying you're biased, that just automatically means you're racist or you're prejudiced or, or you're bigoted. It can mean that, but it doesn't always mean that. So being honest about your biases is very important and really being able to explain why you think the way you think. Uh, and then understanding your values. You know, a lot of people, if you ask them what their values are, they'll give you, they'll almost certainly name a good value, integrity, honesty, connection, and things like that. But how many of, how many of us actually live out our values? You know, we, do we just state our values when we're asked them or do we live them out? And so I, I, I'm encouraging people to not only 
reflect on their values, but to reflect on whether they live them out. And then understanding your triggers. We have moments when our blood boils up or or our palms are sweaty or knees are weak and we start to feel angered or anxious or something. What are those things? Is it is there a trigger word? Is there an environment? Is it someone in particular? Why do we feel triggered and what are those situations? Having those having that core knowledge is very essential before you even move on to understanding how to connect with anybody else. So once you have that piece, it's time to move on to um, education of environment. And the education of environment really involves your observation and deduction skills. So how are you able to, to know what's going on around you? Do you know the, the, the government makeup around you? Who's your mayor? Who's your governor? Who's your senator? You know, who are your, your, your reps in, in the House and the Senate? How do the laws affect uh, different sets of people, right? And, and how, you know, how is your neighbor affected by a policy that, that's different? If you're in a company, how does one policy affect uh, mothers as it does uh, the, uh, the men in the company? If you're in a school, how does shifting the curriculum to only talk about this affect the education path? Of, of others it's being aware of these things and 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 you do this by really becoming an active listener right and and be becoming uh, someone that's, that's able to listen to learn listen to observe um and listen to to evaluate and understand uh, so those those are the, those are those key things with that area so once you're done with the education piece it's time to make sure you don't perpetuate now don't perpetuate involves a couple things right the first thing is making sure that you are not participating in a narrative that that creates insider and outsider dynamics where insiders feel like you know the system supports them and they don't feel like anything is wrong and outsiders feel like they they have to flex a different part of their muscles just to fit in so in and you know an example of this could be in a workplace where maybe there's an un, there are unwritten rules, unwritten culture rules where the people that are on the marketing team always get access to this or, and the people in the tech team never do. Or the first year students in college have access to something and, and you know, it doesn't happen for the second years or international students versus, versus American students. But making sure that your language is, is, is not perpetuating dangerous narratives. Many of us participate in dangerous jokes, right? We just like, oh, it's just, it's just a joke. Calm down. What are you talking about? It's a, but but, but it, it's not just a joke. I remember when I first came to America, people used to come at me with Lion King jokes because they thought that that would be a funny thing to tell me since I'm from Nigeria. And uh, they would be singing the Lion King songs. And I was, you know, I'd, I'd be looking at them wondering, what is this? But that was their way of connecting. And then um, what happens with that is if someone from your circle of influence sees, sees you do that, they go into their uh, circle of influence and say, oh, yeah, this guy is from Nigeria. They sleep with lions and monkeys and blah, blah, blah. So we have to be mindful of that uh, and make sure that we're not perpetuating certain narratives because these narratives affect how we see people. All those people end up becoming potentially people in power and they can hire or fire you based on a bias because of the stories that you told them. It also can play into the movies, you know, what stories do you put out there about uh, a continent? Do you do your real research or do you minimize that? The other aspect of not perpetuating is being a, a good fact checker. We recently lived through the 2016 elections and on both sides of the, of the floor, uh, we saw, you know, fake news being parried around on both sides and people are very apt to share news that, it, that just validates their stories and you, you just look at the headlines, but they, they don't look at the content. And there are many, many sites in the world who are, whose sole aim is to promote 
disinformation. And so what's happening is that this is influencing elections. It's also influencing uh, wars and inciting violence. So we have to be careful about that. And if we're not if we're part of the problem, I always say you can be part of the solution. So make sure that you're not perpetuating. All right. So education is important for self and the environment. But now you're able to spot out things that you are that are systemically wrong <laughs> and how you can fix them. And then the instant communicate is the uh, the final piece. And it's where you use your platforms. It's where you use your voices. And it's it's very easy to feel like you should be silent now because you could be lambasted if you say the wrong thing. But I'll argue that the alternative is actually dangerous. You know, silence is violence in many, many situations. There are many people that don't have a voice and there are many people that don't have a privilege that you might have or access that you might have. And you could use your voice and your platforms to do something good. And so I always encourage people to, one, start off by eliminating the idea that silence is the best answer. But then also to not balk at the first side of conflict. When you come across someone that's different from you or has a different value system from you, there's no way conflict is not going to arise. But how do you open that dialogue? That's what should be the main goal, opening the dialogue. And that involves, you know, less ego, really calming down your ego and opening more opportunities and then openness ensues. But, you know, I don't want to continue to lecture, but that's the summary of what that is. Educate, don't perpetuate, instead communicate. And it's, uh, it's something that we all can do, but it takes a lot of reflectiveness. It takes a lot of intentionality. Uh, and, um, you know, and hopefully we'll get down the right path. Wow. That is so good. It's like a masterclass in how to think, right? Just yeah, how, well, how to think without, because you know what I see? Two things happen. One of them is confirmation bias. Yeah, yes. People just, you know, they're, they're going to see what they're looking for. It, it, mm. It's like, it's like doing research and only researching what you know is going to support your opinion, right? You don't look at yes. opposing information or any of the other options. That's correct. And then the other thing that really bothers me that I see, and it's exactly what you're talking about, about perpetuating these different um, biases, is that some people do it, but they're, they're doing it out of being naive because they don't know how to connect with people that are different. So, mm -hmm. you know, the Lion King thing, they, they think it's going to be funny. They think it's harmless because they, harmless. they yeah, there you go. because they're just, you know what, they're kind of ding-dongs. Let, let's face it. But <laughs> a lot of people just don't know how to connect with somebody that looks different. Right. Instead of just saying, hey, I like your shirt. Okay, that's yeah. an easy one. Hey, I like your shirt. <laughs> Yeah, Instead of making jokes about Lion King, where you're just like, "What are you doing?" I know, but it's so it's so interesting. But that really comes, you know, when you don't focus on on having a serious commitment to educating yourself on the environment around you, you you just go from what you think you know. I mean, they're probably drawing from you know one a.m. commercials they've seen about uh, some country in Africa needing aid, or mm -hmm. the last thing that they saw about Africa was something in Lion King. They're like, "Oh, hey, hey this guy, you're from." You know, so when we're not intentional about our education, especially beyond ourselves, it be, you know, you just rely on stereotypes and it's the easiest thing to do. And, you know, mm -hmm. and so um, that's why I always encourage people to, to really watch what they're consuming and be intentional about that as well. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. I mean, we could talk about this for hours. <laughs> <laughs> an important topic. It's an important topic. It yeah. is such an important topic. And, and so many young people, they're not addressing these things. I mean, you guys are the next generation. 
And it needs to <laughs> be addressed. So. You, well, I you are. So. I mean, I'm like your parents' age. So you you guys are the ones. The torch has been passed to you to go and finish like the work that Nelson Mandela started. Right, right. So you think a lot of, uh, I'm curious, I want to hear more about, uh, about this talk. So okay, why do you feel like we are not doing the work? Because I'm very curious to hear your perspective. Well, I think that so many people are caught up in surviving the day-to-day of finishing school and they've bought into, you know, the stereotypical, like you finish school, you get a job, you get married, you buy a house, you have kids. And they're, they're doing that bit and focus just on surviving and paying their bills that they're not, they're not looking into the future, like the bigger piece of what the future is going to be like. They're looking at, you know, what's going to be out maybe in the next five to 10 years in that pay off my student loan and and then acquire a mortgage. That's just where the focus seems to be. And of course, it's not, you know, everybody, not all this next generation, but things, it's, it's interesting. So much changes from one generation to the next, yet at the same time, so little changes. Well, how is it with your generation? Uh, I'm just, because... What, what, what were the big things that marked your generation? It wasn't wasn't nine eleven. It was some. It was different. It was something else. Nine eleven was yeah my generation. But I'm just thinking, curious about your generation. Yeah, actually, when nine eleven happened, I was pregnant with my youngest son, and I thought, oh no, <laughs> I may never see this baby being born. That was actually wow. my thought. But yeah. um, you know, I just grew up in a family that had so much chaos and dysfunction. I was one of those people that was just trying to survive. I didn't come into this place of thinking about the future and of, you know, mindsets and biases and all that type of thing until like the last 10 years. So so I've had this hypothesis long for a long time. I think, I don't know why, I feel like the world is very focused on short-term thinking. And I think Mm -hmm. this happens with almost all generations because we don't think... um, we don't, we're not able to look at the bigger picture. I don't know why. And that's the biggest thing I learned from Nelson Miller, by the way, the big picture thinking when you go, you spend jail, you spend 27 years in jail and you come out, you know, with this ability to forgive the people that put you there and also see that if you don't do that, there could be a civil war. And it's very easy to think, no, it's my time. I'm going to make sure I get you back. But I, I see this a lot of times in the world, whether it comes to whether it's climate change, racism, all the uh, sexism, any of these things. Many of us know the right things to do, but we don't attach the right level of importance to that. And then there isn't that moral courage uh, to actually act on that. And something that I'm always curious about, because you know, when something bad happens, we always, we sometimes you say, "Ah, oh, man, I should have done something." <laughs> but um, yeah, that you know, I just I hope we can get away from that because. Every day we have an opportunity to make an impact and to correct uh, misbehavior, but we have mm-hmm. to commit to doing it. Well, like you said, people will go, oh, I wish I would have done something. You know, I should have done something. I, yeah. I believe that quite often people are afraid to go against the grain, go, you know, just to stand I up agree. for their beliefs and what they see as wrong. Or in my case, what I grew up with was being told, no, 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 you're wrong no, 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 you're wrong. It's not the way that you think it is because they had their own biases and, and they were not willing 
In fact, they had confirmation bias. They were not willing to accept that maybe there was more to it. And that indeed, they were the ones that were wrong. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, yeah, that's an interesting place to be. But yeah, we, we agree. I agree with that. I definitely agree. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Are you familiar with Malcolm Gladwell's works? Because I, I yep. can't remember which one of his books where he wrote about, you know, the, the people growing up in the, the hills and how they were having the feud and it just, the feuds were passing generation to generation. I'm not sure. Um, it's not, that, is, that doesn't sound like outliers. That doesn't sound like outliers. I don't think wow. it's outliers. Oh, I'm gosh. not sure. Yeah, I'll have no, to. I need to find out because I remember reading that and saying, and it just, it was like, this explains everything. This explains why the bias and the beliefs are passed just from generation yeah. to generation. You know, so I, I say use your difference to make a difference for many right. reasons. Well, a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is I want us to get to a place where we accept our uniqueness and our eccentric centricities and, and on who we are. Because we, like I was saying earlier, we don't have a world that embraces, you know, expression of self. I want us to get there and celebrate that. But I also want us to celebrate the differences around us. Because if you look throughout history, the reasons for any conflict, any war, any disagreement is because of something that's different. You're a woman, you're a man, you shouldn't get this. That religion, that religion. Uh, you're a color of your skin, this color. You like that team or that team. It's always, some, it's always some source of conflict because we don't understand something that's different from us. And, we, and the, the act that we've sort of uh, chosen to, to go down, the path rather that we've sort of chosen to go down is to sort of squash something that's different, promote a hierarchy system based on that difference, and then create systems that promote what we think based on that. And that lends itself to a world that's, that's full of ignorance and fear, defined mm -hmm. by ignorance and fear. Mm -hmm. And we don't seek to try to understand something that's different. Even if we don't agree with it, we do get down to this generational thing that you were talking about because it's, that's just then <laughs> the, the next generation is going to just say, hey, my mom did this, my dad did this, my brother did this, mm -hmm. this is what I do. So. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. children are not born biased. They're taught this bias. Yeah. Yeah. By age three and four, your biases start to form. So mm -hmm. when you don't think kids are grasping <laughs> your, your knowledge, they're like, okay, all right. That, that's how mom talks to this person. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I totally agree with that. I was at a conference in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago and it was really interesting because one of the speakers was trying to make a, a and she made a very good point about, you know, being diverse because um, she was Latina. She had a speaker that was, you know, Caucasian, blonde, blue eyed. She had a couple of speakers that were these, you know, fabulous ladies that were black ladies, very influential. Everybody was influential. And she was saying, you know, we all we need is somebody that's Indian and somebody that's Asian. And it'd be like, it's a small world up here, right? And But she was trying to communicate because somebody had asked a question about how do you book speakers and bring everyone? 
so that nobody feels left out. This is what the whole question was about. And so that opened up why she replied that way. And then somebody said, well, you know, if, if I only have, you know, black speakers, only black people will, will come. And it was so interesting to sit back and watch these people. And so the, the lady that was hosting the whole event, she gave a challenge to the room. There was a few hundred people in the room. And she said, when we go on break, she said, you go find somebody who doesn't have the same skin color as you and go introduce yourself. And then when we came back from lunch, she said, show of hands, who talked to somebody that looks different? And there was a ton of people that had done it. And I thought, this is so interesting because I would say the demographic, everybody was entrepreneurial. Um, probably the age was about 30 to, I'd say, 50. And I thought it was just so interesting that this conversation came up because it really, it had nothing to do with the event at all. Yeah. The event was not anything about diversity. It just, it just came up and it was actually a good thing because I think a lot of people got over their biases in that room in that moment. No, that's so true. So what growing up as the son of a diplomat taught me is that I think people should intentionally put themselves in a position where they're the minority on a weekly basis. I didn't have a choice initially growing up and now I do it on purpose. Whether and that could be across socioeconomic status, or religion, race, whatever, any of these things. But I think... Once you get to see how people see things or live life from a different uh, point of view, you are able to understand things in a more nuanced light. Because uh, it's very easy to, to say, you know, I did this, so why can't you do it? And Right, uh, right. And that's, that's just where we get into this dangerous, dangerous cycle here. But yeah, I love that they did that. That's good. Yeah, it was really interesting. Being that you are so passionate about this topic, I would love for you to share something that you learned from somebody that was, you know, completely different that that maybe surprised you. Can you think of something? Yeah, yeah, and I I would say this. It's it was really about um, women, which is why I started. I started focusing a lot of my well, not a lot of, but I I have a specific content that I I focus on that's based on masculinity, and I teach that occasionally. Because I think the patriarchy that we have on, uh, in the world is 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 just one of the, the one of the biggest sins that we've let continue to linger on across generations. So something as simple as uh, being head on, right, on, on the street. I live in New York City, and I remember I asked this question: How many of you? This is I was talking to, to uh, a bunch of women at the time. How many of you feel safe enough to walk to do what you want past 9 p.m. And a lot of people just shook their head and said, nope, not me, not me, not me. And, and this was actually a very popular tweet. And the reason that they gave ranged from transportation. It's like, I, you know, I don't feel like I would have to, I'd be able to walk down the street without feeling safe. I'll have to, you know, rack up my Ubers. I feel like someone's going to put something in my drink. I feel like I have to work or uh, wear a more protective shirts. I have to call my best friend. I have to let this person know. And these are just things I had no idea about uh, in terms of, because I, I would think maybe 11, but they were like 9 p.m. once it turns dark. As simple right. as that, especially in the summer. And it was just something so simple as that that made me even more aware. You know, th there's a male privilege that I have that mm -hmm. I need to be able to use for, for better. But a lot of times when you hear this, there are, not all men do this, but there are some men that would say, well, why, why were you wearing that? <laughs> or well, what were you doing in that part of town? Or she probably, she probably was doing something that invited that attack. Uh, and that would be the first instinct that they would have. 
without considering the circumstances. And in the workplace, uh, many times I, I'm very observant of this now when whether if someone, a woman says something in the workplace and then it's ignored and then a the man says it and then it's like, oh, that's great. You know, so all these subtle things and me as a man there can observe like, hey, let's, you know, let's hear <laughs> uh, what she said or what he said or, you know, those type of moments. So those, those are those are things um, that I've even become more aware of. And also, we, you know, this even th this is going to come out way after Pride Month. But as I've started to understand, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a cisgender, I'm a straight guy. But I, you, when you look at all the LGBTQI issues around the world, there are countries uh, that it's illegal, right? In other countries, you could go to jail, you could get killed or um, uh, even here you know, different types of rules that don't allow people to be themselves. Now, whether you agree with the lifestyle or not, it, it doesn't mean that you should then make it unsafe for them. And, and I've always wondered about, when I ask people, um, you know, uh, people that are so firmly staunch on, on creating laws against this, I always wonder, hey, if someone came up to you and said, you are not allowed to be yourself today, what would you do? All right, and, and, and they're like, oh, then I'll fight myself. And they're like, yeah, now just picture a whole group of people who feel that way. And that's what you're trying to legislate, right? So it's, it's all these things that I've had to really, you know, investigate, ask questions, mm -hmm. and just listen. A lot of times my role in this position is just to listen. I'm there and then, you know, um, to get educated and then just to do my best to make sure that it doesn't become perpetuated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow, you just made so many good points. Earlier today, I was talking with my youngest son. He's going to be a, a senior in high school this fall. And we were talking about how women are treated in the world. And I said, okay, this is really crazy. But being the fact that you are a middle-class white male means you've already, you're ahead of the game, like already, which is so strange. You know, just when you look at the just everybody in the community. Why, because of the way that you look and where you were born, that you actually have some kind of this, this biased favor on you. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's just such a strange conversation. It, it feels strange to even say it out loud. It does feel strange, but it does happen, unfortunately. I mean, it, you know, the idea of having privilege means you have less questions to ask for you, right? Asking right. about you and all that. Or, you know, like even... I, I'm very aware of what I wear at a certain time of the night. If, if I'm going to walk by cops or not, whether it's earned or not, but I'm like, mm -hmm. just make sure you are in the most presentable play, uh, fashion. And so no one can have less questions and think you're whatever, quote unquote, uh, looking for trouble. Right. Um, and that was something that my dad and mom told me when I was a kid. They're, right. they're like, <laughs> they would tell me like, hey, look, just wear this. That, that was just the information I was I was getting. Mm -hmm. And when I remember when I first came to America, that was the first thing my dad told me because I came here when I was 17 and he said, look, make sure this is, do this here, do this here, don't go here, wear this. I'm like, okay. I mean, I didn't really understand why initially, but it was like, no, you have to listen to me. Uh, but that's, uh, you know, something that you, parents have to worry about. And then, you know, me by extension, as I've lived different experiences, I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is what dad was talking about. Yeah, and it's and it's just like it's so upsetting that that we have to live like that. I mean, I grew up in Southern California. It's a melting pot of different ethnicities. I never grow up thinking that 
that I had something, you know, that I was more than anybody right. else or, or that comparison um, lens that we put on. So it seems so strange to me and, and maybe I'm just so much more aware of it because I'm older and, you know, more aware of what's going on in the world than when I was, you know, 15, like 15 years. Yeah. You, you, you're more aware of like what's going on in your just immediate neighborhood and your, your school campus, that type of thing. Right. But another thing that you said that's so interesting is when you were talking about women not feeling safe and how the, the shadow of doubt would be put like, well, why were they wearing that? Or why were they there? It's like your, your rights as a human being are... Mm-hmm. Are, they're violated, but then your integrity and your character is questioned based on you're wearing a tank top on a hot summer night in New York I, City, and you're trying exactly. to get home. Exactly. And, uh, and I, you know, to, to many people, obviously, it's like, of course, I would never do that. But I, I even get to this point where even if you feel like someone is wearing a sexy outfit for you, how does that give you permission to do what you want? That, 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 that's what I always... Right. backward. I'm like, well, okay, so let's say whatever you're saying is correct. So what, what, what does that have to do with what you want to do? Like, you didn't right. get any permission, right? What's right. the, what are you trying to say actually? <laughs> so, because then are you saying that you have a right to the body based on, on that? And, 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 you know, then you're like, no, there's no, I'm saying, but you, but you know, it could be better. I'm like, what, what do you, what do you mean? All right. So, uh, that that's what I mean. Where the the we could do more, we could do so much more. And um, oftentimes it's easy to just, I guess, victim blame or like right. give someone that's going through something more responsibility. You know, mm-hmm. the, I'm sure a lot, sure a lot of women already have to worry about. Hey, if I smile now, this person might not leave me alone, and I have to worry about being followed for a couple blocks, and that's on top of me like going to this office, and I don't want to deal with that. And, you know, no one wants to be followed, you know, whether the guy is not actually, a, is not, not going to kill you or not. It's still a fearful thing. So, um, yeah. I think of, yeah. It is. You know, I so. saw something the other day on social media and it was so on point. It said, every woman knows a woman that's been sexually assaulted, but no man knows a rapist. <laughs> that's really profound. That is, wow. Oh my goodness. Wow. I have to chuckle there because it, it is, that really highlights a lot of why I get angry with these things. Mm-hmm. It's because we can do more. That that's, that's, we need to pay more attention. And even sometimes we, when we're paying attention, we don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, and it's, we don't know what that, you know, that ignorance or choice to ignore something can lead to. Right. Um, so. Right. But that's that, wow. Wow. I know that's, that's deep. That's profound. It's still, it's still sticking with me. Yeah. 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 So I'm curious, are you going to run for office? <laughs> well, I'm not a citizen. I can't run. I don't even think my, my, I've never really been into politics that way. I feel like I'm more into the private sector and, and I want to stay in, in that lane. But, um, so I don't know I'm anything not... about Nigerian politics. Could you take an office there? I, I don't I know could, anything about I mean, it. I could. I don't know, but I just I don't know why politics has never appealed to me. I just feel I'm more effective doing what I do now uh, in terms of the, 
you know, I know because people always joke about that. Oh, Mr. President, people. I went to boarding school in Nigeria, and people would joke about that because I, I guess I've always been this way. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I, I don't know. It just just never appealed to me. I like uh, I like doing what I do now because I feel like I can touch different realms, and I'm not, you know, chained by. Yeah, you're not held back. You yeah, have just, free reign to do what Tayo wants to do. Yeah, which you know can make people nervous sometimes. I know my parents sometimes are like, hey, you know, maybe you shouldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know what you're trying to do, but maybe, you know, just, just you know, that like that. I like it that you push the envelope a little bit. You're, you're, you know, you're very unassuming, but you've got a little bit of an edge. <laughs> uh, well, yes, if you, I, that's, you know, I, that's the best, uh, there you go, that's the best description. Uh, but I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like, you know, I've, We've been silent too long, so. I, oh, I, I love that. Know. We've been silent too long. Yeah. Let's get T-shirts made that says says we've been silent too long. Silent too long. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Okay, so you have a book coming out. Yes. Tell me about your book. I'm so excited because I know that when you have your book tour, I'm finally going to get to see you in person. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be there. Well, we've already talked about a lot of the content right. in the book. Those three concepts. Yeah. It's it's um it's called "Use Your Difference to Make a Difference," which is my mission mm-hmm. statement. Mm-hmm. And it basically covers how to effectively connect across cultures. And we'll dive into a lot of what we said, but there are, all, there are a lot of personal professional anecdotes that I've gathered and collected and case studies that, I, that I've studied to highlight some of the points that, I, um, that we discussed. And, you know, I, I think it's a time that's, we're in a time that we need to make decisions about mm-hmm. how we raise our kids, how we educate uh, in, in school, how we, we legislate in governments. And also what we decided to do in our workplaces. So it, it was really, you know, it, it came about from a speech I give all the time. And I just had this urge to turn it into a book. And I, I just, you know, I went to work on that. And um, yeah, you know, and, you know, once uh, Wiley gave me the contract, I was like, okay, I have a, a publisher. Here's the book. So, Yeah. That's beautiful. I love it. I can't wait to see what you do next. You've already done so much. I mean, speaking all over the world, you've given three TEDx talks. Let's see. You're, you were named top millennial influencer to watch by New Theory magazine. You contribute to Forbes and to Huffington, and, and you're sitting there across from me on video, so casual, so humble, like, like it's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I love this about you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank yeah. You. Oh, gosh. Everything's going to be linked up below in the show notes so you can connect with Tayo. You can grab his book. He does have a book tour starting in September. And yeah. of course, we're, we're recording way ahead of time, but this drops right when your tour starts. So where do you, where do you go first on your tour? DC, DC, September 4th. I'll be in DC at Bus Boys and Poets. And then I think uh I think it'll be Denver and I think LA on the 23rd. But um yeah, at the last bookstore. But I'm, I'm gonna start sharing the links to those uh places yeah. next month. But yeah, yeah. that'd be great. Yeah. Okay. I can't yeah. wait. So uh, Tayo Roxon, yeah. you need to follow him. He's definitely somebody to watch. He's gonna set the world on fire. Thank, Thank you, you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Pre-order the book, order the book, get all your friends to do it. It would greatly help. I love that. And um, thank you so much for listening. Absolutely.
Hey friends, I wanna challenge you to share this content out. I just think the message of diversity and including everybody is too important to pass over. So I'd really appreciate it if you would share this message out with your friends and just help bridging that gap. It, there truly is a gap that needs to be bridged. Everybody belongs. And hey, if you're free Monday, September 23rd, I will be in LA at Tayo's book signing party. I'll have the link below where you can get a ticket and the directions are there. And let's go hang out. Let's continue this conversation, whether it's there that night or here online. I just really appreciate you. So as always, my friends, until next time, I wish you every good thing.